The members of Balsam Range straddle two eras with one foot in an often romanticized version of mid-20th century life in the Appalachians and the other in the here and now. Their music takes from these vastly different eras in equal measure as well. This makes for a powerful combination drawing from time-honored traditions and from the modern day. Bluegrass is the perfect vehicle for this combination as it was born from 19th century American music but made for the atomic age. Bluegrass music is at once old world and electric, both rich in tradition and ready to soak up new influences, all the while spreading its own influence to many other types of artists whose music was born in the years since Bill Monroe dropped the bomb on us three quarters of a century ago. Get set for a lively and in-depth conversation with the award-winning group that is so down to earth that they won't even own up to being the best bluegrass band in their home county. You'll also hear from musician, writer, and radio host Carol Rifkin. And of course, lots of music. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is produced in partnership with Grassroots Radio, WNCW, and Osiris Media at osirispod.com and is available wherever you get your podcast and at wncw.org. One easy and very helpful way to spread awareness of the artists featured here, their music, and this series is to subscribe to this podcast and give it a good rating and a comment on the platforms where you listen to your podcasts. This is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. Hi, I'm Bob Crawford, and beginning this winter, I'll be hosting a new original podcast focused on the 2020 presidential election, The Politics of Truth. On The Politics of Truth, we'll get expert analysis from our nation's most reliable journalists, experienced pollsters, pundits, and historians. And because this is the Osiris Network, we're going to speak with musicians from your favorite bands and get their take on the intersection of music, politics, and activism. The Politics of Truth, first episode premieres February 7th. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Visit osirispod.com slash politics to learn more. Haywood County. Uh, Thinking about uh, where y'all call home up here in the mountains and how it's changed over the years. What do you think about your where you're from in, in in that locale or maybe broadening that out to the Appalachians or even the South as a, as a region, as a whole. And what parts of that come out in your music? And could be as simple as anything, just anecdotally, just something about the food that you have or, or family history or even more philosophical. And what parts of that culture and the history do you hear in your music? I mean, Balsam Range, you know, we're lucky. We all we all are from the same area. 
doesn't happen that much for a lot of touring bands but so we all grew up in a, a very rich area full of uh, incredible musicians and Haywood County has such, some most incredible players and, and singers and I think we were all influenced majority of my influences were, were that before I ever really heard the national touring type groups and that's you know so we all kind of share in that uh, um, that history of and influences so I think that's a big part of who we are and used to sad you know Haywood County much like West North Carolina music was a center of the of the culture and it was a social outlet people went to dances and that was you know we didn't have internet we didn't have Facebook and we didn't have so to connect you had to go somewhere and it was centered around music and so you know we're kind of losing that to some degree and it's kind of sad to see that our, our kids don't have those same experiences that that we had and, and you know families and gatherings getting together with center around music but it's still a big part of who we are yeah i grew up in a uh i grew up in a family that uh was very musical so like he was talking about all of our birthday parties or thanksgiving dinners or whatever always turned into and it would start like a let me show you what i learned you know i've been working on this song and it would turn into a to a jam session kind of thing and it it wasn't expected and it wasn't planned it just happened you know and that that was cool very very cool part about growing up and then you know when i when i got into uh when i got into high school uh my favorite one of my favorite things to do was to go to picking in the park in canton on on friday nights that's right still going on yeah it is it was it was just fun you know people picking everywhere they had a stage and had uh, they'd have a country band, they'd have a bluegrass band, uh, and then we used to go to uh, Marshall, North Carolina, to the train depot. Mm-hmm. Was it on Saturday? I can't remember. They were off Friday nights, weren't they? Or, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, very influential in, in my musical life growing up, was to be around my family and them doing it, and uh, and then being a part of those really cool jam sessions where uh, music is... Uh, uh, it's an understood language between the get the people there. You know, it's a it's a really really fun time. Uh, Western North Carolina, in a whole, is a very talented region uh, musically. There's a lot of great music, fantastic music that's come out of Western North Carolina yeah. and uh, Haywood County in, in general. So, seems that the side effect of <clears throat> of being from rural areas is the benefit of having to entertain yourself so everybody learns how to play music and we wind up with all of this fantastic music and this culture and this history of 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 great artists whereas if you had somewhere that you could go in town and see all this and maybe it would have been different that's for sure it's organic you know that's the thing about western North carolina um because we were in a in a region that was uh, you know years it's been a part of the school system you know growing up as an early age mm-hmm. i remember people like david holt coming to our school and teaching us about mountain music you know when i was just a little kid but it's all it's always before david holt there were other people doing it you know and uh, raymond fairchild different people and so I grew up the same way Caleb did music. Everybody in my family just about played music, and every Friday and Saturday night we were picking in the house, and it wasn't something that was forced on you, like, hey, I want my kid to do this. You're just around it, and 
you know, you want it. I wanted to do it, you know, since I was a little kid. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for that. But you you go all over the the world and play music. And what people know Western North Carolina. When you say I'm from Western North Carolina, they know some great musicians. I mean, I've got to play with some of the best banjo players in the world. Steve Sutton, Mark Pruitt, Raymond Fairchild. They're all from Haywood County. You know, Earl Scruggs from Shelby, North Carolina. Uh, Don Reno, you know. And uh, so... And not only in bluegrass, but Warren Haynes. You know, you look at people like that, there's just a lot of talent in Western North Carolina because that was the culture. Ronnie Millsap, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. And um, when you're around people playing at Grow Up, around people playing at that level, you know, it pushes you. And there's an intensity in the music, too. You know, a lot of times you can be out on the road years ago and people say, man, you play like you're from Western North Carolina, and it's a style. It's a style, it's an energy, it's a style, it's an attitude, and I'm proud of that. I'm very proud of the culture and the music here. Twenty years for the Depression Peter Thompson staked his claim In a little mountain town song Paper Town, the title cut to Balsam Range's 2012 release. Following some of my conversation with band members Buddy Melton, Caleb Smith, and Darren Nicholson. Paper Town is a song all about their hometown, famous for its paper mill, which is still a huge employer in the region, but is thankfully less of a polluter. If you've ever been around paper mills, especially years ago, you'll know that they are notoriously dirty. People downwind would joke, it smells like money. Ten years ago, Haywood County was the fourth largest polluter in the 100 counties in all of North Carolina. After switching parts of the plant off of coal in favor of natural gas, 
and by installing pollution scrubbers on the remaining coal-fired boilers, the Evergreen Packaging Plant was estimated to reduce its sulfur dioxide emissions by 75%. Balsam Range takes their name from the Great Balsam Mountains there, a subrange of the Blue Ridge Mountains, which is part of the Appalachians. The Blue Ridge Parkway runs along the length of the Balsam Mountains, which claim the parkway's highest elevation of 6,053 feet at Richland Balsam. If you aren't familiar with that location, you probably have at least heard of another mountain in that range, Cold Mountain, from the Charles Fraser book or the movie that came from it. The movie was filmed mostly in Romania, though. I guess it was cheaper to film there. Or maybe they just didn't like the smell of the paper mill. Today, the region is a hotbed for tourism. The town of Canton has microbreweries, and Cold Mountain has its own music festival. But it wasn't all that long ago that this area resembled an America that most people had not seen since the first half of the 20th century. Darren told us that he grew up playing for cakewalks. <laughs> we all did. Yes, I did. We did. Broom dances. Broom dances. We didn't have a skating rink. So if you wanted to hold hands with a girl, you had to be on a square dance team, you know. All that and more coming up, including a conversation with writer, musician, and WNCW DJ Carol Rifkin about how many bluegrass and old-time songs are a bit like covered dishes at a church potluck dinner. But first, another bit of music from the band. And speaking of church, Balsam Range has a new all-gospel release compiling their favorite spirituals from their catalog. It's called The Gospel Collection, and this is Stacking Up the Rocks. Stacking up the rocks at the edge of the water, memorial of the miracles he gave to thee, that all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord's mighty. God told Joshua to lead his people, as I was with Moses, I will be with thee. I will never leave or forsake you, but set the people free. Joshua spoke unto his people, said, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you, and you will surely be blessed. Stacking up the rocks at the edge of the water, memorial of the miracles he gave to thee, that all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord's mighty. Priest carrying the ark of the covenant to the raging Jordan side. Brave and courageous, they stepped in the water and got work before they arrived. The water stopped flowing, the riverbed dry, they all crossed to the other side. Twelve men back to the middle of the river, carrying rocks to remember by. Stacking up the rocks at the edge of the water, memorial of the miracles he gave to thee, that all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord's mighty. God's still with us in this world of trouble, gives miracles every day. Has he worked in your life, brother? Have you shown it in some way? Well, are you stacking up the rocks at the edge of the water? Memorial of the miracles he gave to thee. That all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord's mighty. Stacking up, the stacking up the rocks at the edge of the water. Memorial of the miracles he gave to thee. 
say that all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord's mighty. So that all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Southern Songs and Stories here with Carol Rifkin, writer, musician, dancer, radio host. What else do you do, Carol? You do a lot of things. I like to run and hike. We're very glad you're on Southern Songs and Stories. Thank you. And talking about Balsam Range and bluegrass in general, about how a lot of the acts will have songs written by other songwriters, maybe not covering a song from a band as much necessarily as maybe using, uh, you know, folks like Mark Bumgarner and, and a lot of career kind of songwriters. And I have a theory that this tradition may go back to the way that old-time music was, because in those circles, especially really earlier in the 20th century, I think, a lot of those artists never really wrote their own music as much as they just adapted someone else's music or picked up traditionals and put their own spin on, their own spin on it. Am I right? Yes. Um, yes and no. It wasn't highly thought of in, in mountain music, particularly, to write your own music. It was kind of, uh, you'd be treated sort of with suspicion <laughs> almost. It was really looked down on. If you played mountain music, you should be playing that music. But of course, people were writing songs and they were singer-songwriters. Uh, it changed the definition of it. So it was not only the opposite, it was even more so of what is today where everyone wants to write songs. So how do you have... Uh, a healthy catalog of songs to play if nobody's really encouraged to write songs in that kind of environment. Well, there you go. That's why I wrote songs. <laughs> but I was highly criticized for it because if you play traditional music, you're supposed to be playing stuff that's already in the tradition. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of songs that are in the tradition that we all know. And it's kind of a uh, a test, you know, that you take. Uh, how many traditional songs do you know? I know a lot. But I also wanted to write them in the tradition. And in the 80s and 90s, that was really not thought well of at all. Has this carried into bluegrass? Is that part of the reason why you find so many bluegrass artists using extensively uh, a list of artists and, you know, uh, using extensively all of these covers? I think there are a lot of different facets to the question you just asked. Um, Yes, that has carried over, but there are other factors that made it possible for people to write. Um, and the main thing is royalties. The more people record and the more, you know, when you record, you have to file with Harry Fox or the royalties. Well, the more they're being checked now, you know, local people used to record things and no one cared, but everything's on the computer now. If you record something, um, and that's been coming on for a while you're going to pay royalties and, or be expected to follow the law and pay royalties the same way a country music star does at the same rate per so many, which I don't remember those numbers or anything, but it does add up. So if you're recording a CD and you're a bluegrass person or a mountain music person, you're going to pay, you could pay a couple thousand dollars in royalties if everything you're doing is a cover. But if you write all your own songs, um, you don't pay anything. It's yours, and you own the publishing rights and the copyright to it. And someone else might record it and pay you. 
So there's a real impetus because of that to make it a lot more popular. It stopped being bad. Well, unless you sign off your rights to your publisher. Hardly anyone does that anymore. I think now when you sign with a, a record label, I don't think that goes on much. I know in my world, in traditional music, like if I play Lulabelle and Scotty, if you go online, you're not going to find on iTunes their real hits the way they recorded them. What you're going to find is probably a re-recording of it that they did because early on, probably until mid-80s, um, if you recorded something, they gave you money to sign your rights away. Or probably, you know, before that, they didn't even ask. They just uh, assumed they, you know, if whatever you recorded and that you wrote and were playing, that was theirs. They just paid you when you did it. Or they might have said, I'll pay you a little bit per record or something like that. But there were no royalty things like, like now. So when they really started enforcing it, a lot of the um, country stars went back and re-recorded their songs so they could get the rights to their music again. Although they do cover songs that are known first and foremost from their singer-songwriter originators, like Ray LaMontagne and George Harrison, this is one of many songs that Balsam Range recorded that were written by career songwriters. It's Get Me Gone from Aonic. Now the kiss is cold and bitter on my tongue. You warm the marrow in these bones and why you got your big light on. Shout it on the road home and get me gone. Get me gone like a shooting star just as fast and just as far. Gone like the long lost love in a country song. Gone like whiskey, gone like rum, straight out of here like wind blown smoke. Won't you give me some light, good Lord, and get me gone. Shooting star just as fast and just as far. Gone like the long lost love in a country song. Gone like whiskey, gone like rum, straight out of here like wind blown smoke. Won't you give me some light, good Lord, and get me gone? Thinking about songs, songwriting, and how. Folks like Adam Wright and Milan, Middle, uh, Milan Miller might be unofficial members of Balsam Range. They've they've uh, been, uh, you know, you've got a lot of their songs in your catalog. How important is the songwriting, and and what's your process for finding songs when you're not writing them yourselves? Um, it's very important. It's everything, really. I mean, you know, if you want to have to be an artist and be identified as unique, you know, it, it all comes down to the song. You know, if we all did uh, Big Spike Hammer, you know, that's great, but it, it doesn't really separate you. And so it's very important to have your own uniqueness. And, and so for us, it starts the song. We've been blessed with some great songwriters, like you mentioned, Milo Miller. We, we do call him a sixth member of the band. He's been a big part of it. I've, I've gone back, you know, 20-some years with my own playing music, and so... It's really important. Uh, we we go through the process as we are now of of uh, going to those people like Milan and Adam Wright and Mark Bumgarner and all the people that we respect as songwriters and and compile it and start 
working them up and see how they fit the band and and sometimes the guys will bring stuff from inside the band and and uh, but it's a process you know we are unique in that we've got four singers and different styles of of uh, harmonies so it's it opens a lot of avenues to of opportunity within songs of trying them different ways so it's sometimes and there's been many many times where a song that uh we we tried didn't make the cut just didn't feel right and then two years later it's like the top of the list trains i miss is a prime example listen to that song several times and then it ended up being a title track song of the year you know a, a album or two later and that's happened countless times so uh Working with other artists like John Driscoll Hopkins and Chloe Agnew, how did how did those relationships start? Well, um, John Driscoll Hopkins is a family member of the Zac Brown Band. Uh, you know, the wildly popular in the country music field, uh, multiple Grammy Award winner. And he had heard a song; it's kind of became a staple. It was on our fir- very first record. The song's called Blue Mountain. He'd he- heard that song on Sirius XM and sent an email to the website and. You know, we kind of thought it was spam uh, <laughs> because, you know, it's like, hey, I'm John Driscoll Hopkins with Zach Brown Band. You know, would you, you know, and he really liked our music, wanted to collaborate. And we're like, oh, here's somebody trying to scam us, you know, but he's a real deal. And he's became one of our best friends in music. And uh, John, we did an album together and Zach Brown was on that album along with Tony Triskin, Jerry Douglas and Joy and Roy. And uh that I just heard that record the other day, and that's one of my favorite things that we've done. Uh, it's got a lot of great songs on it as well, but he likes the same stuff that, that we do. And so, you know, just being out on the road, you meet people like, you know, Chloe Agnew and, and John Driscoll Hopkins. And, and, you know, I've always said life's about developing relationships, and and Bluegrass is a prime example. It's just a community. It's not really – they're your peers, but most of them are your friends too and your buddies. And that's why you play on each other's projects and sing on each other's stuff and, and you get to collaborate. And John, actually, we were in a movie, a major motion picture, because of John Driscoll Hopkins with uh, Nick Jonas and. Uh, yeah, Caleb threw baseball with Nick Jonas and Dermot Mulroney from uh, uh, Runaway Brides. He plays the mandolin. He played my mandolin. Paul Servino from Goodfellas. We hung out with him a lot. And. I mean, those are the kind of things that, for a bluegrass band, you don't get to do that stuff every day. We play with them at Thompson Bowling Arena and Charleston with uh, uh, oh, Greg Allman, you know. John Mayer. I mean, Vince Gill told me one time, never be a name dropper, but <laughs> I'm going to drop a few na- names here. <laughs> Yesterday's taking off And tomorrow 
tomorrow's gonna fly A bit of Last Train to Kitty Hawk, the title song to their second album. It's a song that works not only because of the song itself, but also because it evokes a bygone era and brings that to the present like few others. It's a song that is another example of how Balsam Range has a knack for bridging the 1900s with the century that came before it and with today. And that comes from direct experience because Mark, Tim, Darren, Buddy, and Caleb all grew up in a place that was its own time capsule. Mountain regions like Haywood County were far more quiet, simple, and removed from the hustle, bustle, and complexity of the America that most people knew when they were growing up in that same time frame. Balsam Range's banjo player Mark Pruitt gives an account of this in his new book, Rascally Mountain Boy. Western North Carolina no longer resembles a place frozen in time, but not all that long ago, well, I'll let them tell you. The working title I had for a long time was Growing Up Mountain, but that didn't really say exactly what I felt because I wanted positive things. Um, and about the first third of the book is uh, about my brother and me growing up and funny things that we got into. Like I told a story today about uh, the first <coughs> store-bought haircut we ever had was from a drunk barber. And we would we would play bicycle wreck and lay in the ditch beside the road on Sunday mornings and try to stop cars after church. <laughs> There's all kind of funny stories and things like that. And, and, and oh, my mother got so mad one Sunday. We, uh, my brother and I wanted to play army, so we put all our army stuff into our little red wagon and took off up the parsonage driveway. We dug a mighty and powerful foxhole, and she called us, "You boys, get down here right now!" And she was mad because she, she always let us play Army. And I said, but, but Mama, you let us play Army. Why are you mad at us today? She said, you boys are up here where the whole world can see you, and you're digging a foxhole, and it's Easter Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> we were on the Methodist Parsonage driveway. But, you know, those, those kind of stories, you know, it's given me a way to touch back into to my past. And there's a... The, the middle third of the book is about um, uh, early music and the, the, the middle things in my music career. And there's some funny stuff about my times with Ricky Skaggs and things that we did and uh, the, all the stuff at Bill Stanley's Barbecue. A lot of people would remember that. And then the last third of the book, I, I wanted to do something just simply because I'm interested in songwriting. I, I put 36 of my songs in it. and songs that I've uh, helped people write and uh, commented on some of them, explained some of them. And it's kind of like uh, Bob Ledford used to say about his used car lot, some of them's good and some of them ain't so good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, the, best, the best thing that I can say is it's a, it's a fun and interesting for me at least cross-section of a country boy's life. Rascally Mountain Boy. There you go. Truth in advertising. <laughs> Darren told us that he grew up playing for cakewalks. <laughs> we all did. Yes, I did. We did. Broom dances. Broom dances. My favorite thing when I was a kid, there was a guy that lived down the road named Lyman Powell. That's a, that was a crazy name. But when I was a kid, he'd have this wig, and he'd put on a dress, and he'd dress up as a woman, and he had these balloons he carried around with him and he would do this comedy act at the cakewalk and for a kid 
I would laugh so hard at this old man dressing up <laughs> as a woman. And it was just, you know, it was people coming together and having fun and playing. Uh, it was a community thing. It was about having fun. They were usually raising money to help somebody in the community. And it was just a good spirited thing. And Tim grew up playing for uh, Squire Dances. And he has a wonderful story about the <laughs> Alabama Jubilee. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the dance was a big part of it. I tell people all the time, my wife thinks it's hysterical because she's from down in uh, South Tennessee, Alabama, and around down in there. But I said, you know, we didn't we didn't have the skating rink, so if you wanted to hold hands with a girl, you had to be on a square dance team, you know. And uh, one particular night, I was playing bass with this little blue dress outfit. I was about 14. And uh, they used to have these square dance competitions. I mean, a lot of, back in the day, schools had teams. You know, it was a big, it was, Son, it was cutthroat. It was rude hog or die, a lot of them, you know. <laughs> Some of them people I still don't speak to. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, they'd have these competitions, and, uh, I mean, teams would come from Tennessee, South Carolina, all over our region. And one night out of Lake Junaluska at Stewart Auditorium, uh, me and that little bunch, Ned Smathers, and all those fellas, old guys that we all grew up around, we played for 65 teams. That night, that day and night, it started at noon and went to you know ten o'clock at night or whatever. Eight teams and the 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 dance teams. There's sixty five teams and they all did an eight minute routine. So every song's Freebird, you know. It seems like, and uh, eight teams in a row requested the same song, the Alabama Jubilee. And I thought that, that to my soul that night, if I hear another note of that song, it was yeah, it was an hour and four minutes of the Alabama Jubilee. <laughs> Here's the, uh, you know, the Tennessee bog trotters. Even as a bass player, I was about to jump off a bridge. But it, that was such a huge part of growing up, you know, uh, where we did. And there, it was, the music, uh, it's a family thing, as the guys were talking about. Uh, I think a lot of it, God's honest truth, they didn't have much else to do. After it got dark, when they were done with the livestock or the farm or whatever it was the work was done and that's that's what you had to make your own entertainment you know yeah. Yeah. so i think that was a, a big deal for lots of families balsam range won the highly coveted ibma entertainer of the year award for the second time in 2019 which is remarkable for that achievement itself but also because they are not a full-time touring band they never have been and continue to play their shows on weekends. Also notable is the fact that they have never released a live record and don't sound like they have that on their radar anytime soon. That's why all of the songs you heard on this podcast were from their studio recordings. Like this tune, Jackson Point, from their 2008 release, Last Train to Kitty Hawk. Thank you.
closing in on the finish for this episode. Thanks for listening. We invite you to like and follow the show on our social media. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter at South Scenes, and on Instagram at South Stories. You can correspond with me by email at southernsongsandstories at gmail.com or joek at wncw.org. Southern Songs and Stories is a part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all of the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. And you can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Our theme songs are by Josh Ming. You can find out more about his work on his SoundCloud and Instagram at his Strahlenson profiles there, or simply by searching for Joshua Ming. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. <laughs>